here, and I'm glad to see them with us. Um, this is going to be the start of a brand new podcast, Reverend Les, <laughs> that we're going to start doing, and um, this will be probably, we might break this up to a couple of uh, shows here, but you are our guest for it, and I'm happy to have you with us this morning. I am Dr. Takoy Porter. I'm the president of NAN Sacramento um, chapter here and uh, senior pastor of the Genesis Church. I've been pastoring for, goodness, 23, carry the one, 24 maybe at one <laughs> uh, years. Uh, our church is 33 years, so 24 years. I've been pastoring and um, I started when I was 12, like you all, right? It's generation, third generation pastor and um, just uh, been in the work uh, for a while. And these men and women are fellow clergy, they're my friends actually, um, from up and down uh, California and beyond. And I'm gonna have them introduce themselves. Just tell us a little bit about you, um, pastoring, clergy, uh, how long you've been in the game, all right, and doing the work. And just we'll just take two or three minutes. It's gonna be hard because they're all pastors. You know how it is, <laughs> but we're gonna put them to the test, right? Like it's one of those uh, um, clergy, you know, midnight clergy things we do. All right, all right. Who's gonna start? Ladies first, or all right? Who? So Michael. Yes, sir. All right. I guess I'll go first. Uh, uh, Pastor Daryl Scarborough. Uh, I think I'm the youngest one up here which feels good because my hair been leaving me lately. Um, I have, uh, I come from Chicago. I was the executive pastor and teaching pastor at the Salem Baptist Church of Chicago under Pastor James Meeks. I uh, served with him for about four or five years in everything from politics to ministry in the streets and in the building. And then God called me to Sacramento where I now pastor uh, the Boss Church, uh, formerly uh, under Bishop Sherwood Carthen. Yeah. yeah. The, the giant of Sacramento. And so uh, we have continued the work here uh, at the church, continuing his legacy, as well as serving with my big brother, Pastor Takoy Porter, as vice president of NAN Sacramento. So Ooh. good to be here with you guys on today. Good evening. I'm Pastor K.W. Tulis. I am the pastor of the Weller Street Missionary Baptist Church in Los Angeles, California. I've been pastoring there now for 15 plus years. I'm also the president of the Baptist Ministers Conference of Los Angeles and Southern yeah. California, where I was elected about a good four years ago before I assumed the presidential role as at um, Baptist Ministers Conference. I was the Western Regional Director of the National Action Network, uh, whereas I've opened up so many chapters. This is one of um, our chapters that we was able to open up about five years ago. Happy yeah. five year anniversary. Can you give yourselves a hand? And so my, my work started at a, a young age. I'm 45 now. 
And so my work started at a, a very young age. I think I was 12 years old uh, in the movement. I had great mentors, um, and my mentors came from the church. Um, my pastor, Dr. Elsie Carter, from the First Antioch Church, he kind of exposed me to marching. Uh, and then I met a guy by the name of Pastor Charles Mims, Pastor Joe Lee, Pastor Strong. Mm. And then um, when I was 19 years old, I was introduced to a man by the name of Reverend Al Sharpton, uh, who took me up under his wings and really helped me to become the activist that I am today. So I'm so happy to be a part of this um, conference today, Dr. Porter. I was so moved um, by the last um, presentation um, black in school. I don't know if you, if I mean that was a moving uh, presentation. Yes. Moved me enough to really dust off some of my marching shoes, and I'm ready to go kick down some doors now uh, for our education system. So I'm thankful to be here on today. Good morning. Uh, I am Pastor Reverend Dr. Joy Johnson. Uh, I'm I'm actually fresh off the airplane. I landed last night at 11:30, coming in from. Uh, Grand Rapids teaching uh, in a, at a conference called Women Leading the Way, teaching uh, women pastors of the Reformed Church of America. Um, I've been pastoring here in the city of Sacramento close to 30 years. Well, I'll say I've been in the game, in the game close to 30 years. Uh, I have uh, pastored at various ministries here in the city of Sacramento uh, helped to um, plant uh, at least two churches that are still thriving, still thriving. Uh, I am in a chapter of my life now where I'm, my major focus is pastoring our community. So uh, I am involved in several uh, what we call healing circles throughout the city. Um, so I can't really give you a building and an address where to find me, uh, but you can find me out in the, uh, the media world. Uh, the social media uh, world. I am the currently the chair of PICO California, which is a, a movement organization uh, that covers the whole of California. Uh, I am also the uh, spiritual uh, uh, representative for the um, NAACP Sacramento branch, and I'm real happy to be here. This is my what I call my little brother. So. He and I always are getting into trouble together, and he'll call me and tell me I'm getting ready to step into something. And, you know, I'm like, okay, here we go, right? <laughs> because I am an older sister. I'm the eldest of 12 children, which is my claim to fame, so that when my brothers call, they, I know they need some real ammunition coming from big sister, so I'm glad to be here today. Glad to have you. Well, I'm, my name is Les Simmons. I'm Senior Pastor of South Sacramento Christian Center, and like uh, Pastor Takoy, I'm also a third-generation third uh, pastor yeah. uh, on both sides of my family, so I had no choice in this <laughs> decision here. Double no, I did. I accepted the call, uh, but really happy to be here, like I said, on both sides of my family growing up in uh, East Oakland. My granddad, Bishop Lester Hughes, pastor Bible Way Church. That was on my mom's side, and then on my dad's side, 
Uh, his dad pastored Parks Chapel AME Church, and then my dad and mom received the call to launch a church here in Sacramento, uh, right up the street on Mac Road, or off of Mac Road in Franklin, with 12 people in their home, uh, including the dog and the cat and everything else. And uh, we've been going for over 34 years uh, strong under the leadership of my dad and mom, Bishop Esley and Dr. Deborah. And then they installed me as senior pastor a couple of years back. And we work very closely in the community in the work around violence interruption work. Uh, we staff and employ a team of crisis responders. We also work in the community to address food insecurity. We help provide food for around 1,200 people weekly, every single week. Uh, we also are part of Black Child Legacy Campaign to reduce uh, African-American childhood death as well. Uh, those are some of the operations that happen within our church in, in, as well as the Simmons Community Center. How many of you remember Calscape uh, over in the yeah. community? Uh, some years back, we were able to purchase that and revitalize it. Now it has a fan favorite Sacramento Kings NBA floor inside of it and rerun uh, recreational sports, basketball, volleyball, and mentorship programs in that facility as well. Thank you. And Bishop Simmons, his father, is in the audience. Yes, he is. I should pull you up, Bishop. Um, but you just wave. Let's give him a hand. Pops is in the house. He is in the house. General legend. Good afternoon, everyone. My name is Curtis Lamont Smith. I am the pastor of Destiny Christian Center in Stockton, California. Um, I've been pastoring there will be um, 12 years on the 11th of this month. And um, my story, I say being in the game, it runs deep. So you're gonna have probably just stop me with, just stop me. But it's, I say it runs deep because there's roots. You know, my, my roots grow expand out throughout this stage right here in this place, in this building. So it was this place, it was Dr. DeCoy Porter, who was my college buddy, friend, brother, we went to college together, but it was him under his leadership that he gave me permission to get involved with an organization here called Sacramental Act. It was just, I would say, something just needs to be done. So I was going to college, that's way, another opportunity that they had also set up for us here as young ministers to go to Bible college, and it was something about the prophets. It was something about the story of the prophets and their proclamation and the discerning of the times that led me to this work. Because this work, you're compelled to come into the work, you know, when it, what we're talking about today. And it was that leading, that permission, that allowing, also that led me to being a youth pastor here and teaching the young people. And it was a sermon by Dr. Joy Johnson called The Sons of Issachar, mm. saying, can you discern the times? Wow. And it basically led me to understand as much as I have a passion to preach, there must be an intellectual depth to be able to communicate the issues that are happening now. Why is it that the kids across the street are living the way that they are? Why are they coming into this building and we are seeking after their soul, but still they're going home and the lights were off when I was taking them home and dropping them off? But like, what is it about the systems and the policies that are existing now and how can we make a change? And that's why I am compelled. I am the executive director. I'm allowed to be, I say allowed because it's a calling, to be co-vocational. I know sometimes we use the term bivocational, but I consider it co-vocational because I consider my position a part of my calling. So as the executive director of Faith in the Valley, um, which is a multi-faith, 
multiracial coalition of faith-based community organizing that we actually partner with communities, congregations, students, and allies in order to bring systems and policy change, empowering the people and their voices to come together collectively to make change for their community rooted in racial equity. And so I'm blessed to be here today. And, and he says permission, but really, he just said, I want to pass, I want to come in here, and I'm going to do this thing. And I was like, all right, sure. Uh. <laughs> well, he was on the ground floor of that, Pastor Turner. I love it. I'm Trina Turner. I'm an executive pastor at Victory and Praise Church in the city of Stockton, under the direction and leadership of the amazing Bishop Rufus K. Turner. Yeah. Amen. My husband of 44 years. And um, I'm excited to be here today with this esteemed panel. Um, I'm the um, founding um, executive director for Faith in the Valley, where we brought yes. together five counties from Kern County to San Joaquin County. And I know, so I, we've heard recently and been sharing that sometimes, you know, you find a movement or a moment and sometimes a moment finds you. So oh. I found the moment to begin to, to be able and be in the right position to bring the counties together to create Faith in the Valley to provide the funding that was required to provide the um, support, the status, the staffing, and then to get out of the way so it can be led by the amazing Pastor Curtis. So I'm grateful for that time with Faith in the Valley. At Victory and Praise, though, we continue to do advocacy work and we continue. We have a social justice ministry there that is fully formed. And our people at Victory and Praise, they're working for mental health and for housing and they're working for food security. We put out uh, anywhere from thirty to $90,000 worth of groceries worth of product, worth of food, into our community for other organizations to begin to have to use in their various programs. We're working um, getting our youth out of prisons and bringing them home, and we're able to provide them support when they return. We're working the STEAM, STEAM programs, LEGO programs for our youth. And so this panel that we just had, it's like, Lord, I'm going to need you to set me somewhere and be still, because every panel I'm thinking, okay, maybe I'm ready to get back in the game. I still got more in me. <laughs> um, uh, because when I left Faith in the Valley, was my second career that I ended, and um, I can't get away from it just yet. There's so much to be done that I'm, I'm just really trying to hear from God, which way am I going to jump in? Lastly, I want to say I'm also one of your 14 California um, independent redistricting commissioners that was uh, that where we drew the lines for Congress and Assembly and Senate and the um, State Board of Equalization. So I'm just glad to be here today, and I know there is much more work that I'll be engaged in. Amen. Come on, give her a hand. Thank you, Pastor Turner. My name is uh, Pastor Broderick Huggins. I'm a native of Stockton, so I have a lot of home folks here. Went to UC Davis, so I have some home folk here. And it's just good to be here. Pastor Porter uh, drafted me on the panel yesterday, and he thought he'd do a repeat performance today. Uh, had the privilege of sharing the word last night, and so thank you yes. for allowing me that grand opportunity. Um, I pastor, I just retired from the St. James Baptist Church of Wichita, Kansas, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, mm -hmm. so I'm excited about that. Um, I pastored the St. Paul Baptist Church in Oxnard, California for almost 28 years, and I went from there to St. James and uh, as um, 
an exit strategy because I knew I was coming home at some point. Two years ago, uh, I started the Simply Church House of Prayer, and uh, we have service on Saturday mornings so that I was able to do two churches, but now uh, I'm at a place where I just want to do what I want to do. Because from zero to 21, you do what you're told to do. 22 to 50, you do what you have to do. 50 to 70, you do what you want to do. And then 70 above, you do what you can do. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I am just excited to be back in California around the pastors that I know. I know every pastor here. And just in an environment back home where I have some relationship equity. And I don't believe that being a part of this conference was by happenstance because in my semi-retirement stage, I'm trying to figure out what life and ministry is going to look like beside my, beside my Simply Church on Saturday morning. So I'm glad to be here and I volunteer for anything anybody wants me to do from here on out. So I'm trying to figure it out. All right, God bless you, thank you. Let's give Bishop a hand, come on. He showed up tours up last night, man. Gave us a, pre a preaching clinic on social justice, civil rights, and then he took it to the cross. Amen. He took it to the cross. So let's jump right into it, and um, and we're gonna just gonna popcorn and whoever what inspires you right there. Remember, you got your neighbor that may want to jump in as well. But there is a stigma. Uh, of black church leaders now being involved in this work. Rich, you know, being a third generation pastor and watching my father, grandfather, and, and uh, uncles, aunties all in this work, uh, it baffles me. It, it really does that, that now um, the largest civil rights movement that, that just occurred after George Floyd was predominantly secular led by Black Lives Matter, and, everybody's, and everybody was asking, where is the church, where is the black church in particular? But then if we showed up, you know, they're like, why are you here? Right. So, so, so can you start addressing that, you know, why is that stigma happening in this day and age? Go ahead, anybody. Um, well, I do want to jump in now because I know these esteemed uh, pastors are going to take over and run. <laughs> uh, what, what I would like to draw attention to is, um, the, the, you said, as a third-generation pastor, you, you have an understanding of history that says civil rights begins mm. at the church, right? right? Right. Civil rights really is about justice, right? Right. And, and a fight for what is just. And I would like to lift up the fact that uh, all throughout our sacred scriptures, God is speaking about justice. So justice is in the heart of God. Justice begins with God. And I surmise that uh, every civil rights movement really does begin in the heart of God. Now, the church has gotten a little bit off point. You know, that was our point mm -hmm. when we were trying to make it over. You know, when we had a struggle uh, when we had a common struggle, that still was the center of our work and our fight. The black church was about community justice. Everything we ate, slept, and breathed was about community justice. Then we grew up 
and we became a little bit more comfortable and we stopped focusing on that and started focusing a little bit more on buildings and programs and the other. And so it became something like an anomaly, an anomaly for the church to be involved. But the injustices were still going on, right? And so some, some, some mm, other entities have you know, filled that gap, filled in that void, and now it's very hard for some clergy, some uh, black clergy that I work with uh, from time to time, uh, it's very hard for them to see their place in a justice movement. They don't make that connection that justice is at the heart of God. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Joy. You know, in 2014, after Michael Brown uh, was murdered in Ferguson, Missouri, uh, I was called along with a few other clergy to go to be on the streets in Ferguson. And I remember I started asking, you know, really praying, asking the Lord, what is my purpose for being from Sacramento going down to Ferguson? And very clearly I heard the word, the ministry of presence. Mm. Being okay just being on the ground in discomfort. And I believe as clergy, it's many times we are used to lead something, so we expect to lead something. And in the secular spaces, they're like, get in line, <laughs> you know, <laughs> until you build some relational equity enough to show your conviction, your passion, your leadership. One of the things that really informs me is how Christ created and set at tables that were big enough for everybody to sit at. Mm -hmm. You had the tax collector, you had Judas, you had everybody sitting at that table and he was knowing someone was gonna betray him and he still sat at the table. During the, the protests around Stefan Clark, we created this, I call it Justice League, but it, you know, it is, that, that's, you know, <laughs> Avengers. <laughs> but we created space every single week. We sat at a table with, at our church with the director of local uh, Black Lives Matter, mm -hmm. uh, Sacramento Act, uh, lead, I think it is, with uh, Reverend, uh, from Unity, and a couple of other community organizations, all because we set the table, right? So when we showed up on the streets, we showed up unified. Mm -hmm. It all happened, though, because of relational equity. Right. I think if we're going to show up, there has to be some relational equity. We have to be un comfortable being uncomfortable and just have the ministry of presence. Wow. Let, let, me, let me just follow up by just saying, um, being an activist for so long in Los Angeles, um, I've come to an understanding that not every pastor is called to do what I do. Well, there you go. You know, and at the end of the day, you know, Dr. King, he raised the bar for all of us to understand uh, what this fight for justice and civil rights um, is all about. Um, Dr. King, Reverend Jackson, Reverend Sharpton, um, that's a lot of their ministries was geared towards that. And being president of the Baptist Ministers Conference, uh, an organization that has over 300 pastors in Los Angeles and Southern California, I've come to understanding not everybody is called to do what I do. And, you know, what we have to understand is um, that 
when individuals raise that question, where is the church? What is the church doing? Uh, we have individuals that's on this stage that's at the forefront of every single movement uh, all across this state and throughout this country. Uh, we have to understand that, you know, at the end of the day, uh, we have to get behind our pastors and our leaders that's here, that's representing on the front line. We have a lot of pastors, amen, they're, they're called um, to their church. Dr. King was a co-pastor of his church. His father preached um, Sunday after Sunday at his church. You know, at the end, what we have to do as a community is we have to embrace and support those who are out there going over beyond the walls of the church to really bring about change within the community. So we got to understand that not everybody is called to do what we're doing. I know it, you know, Dr. King set the bar, but the reality is some pastors that, I mean, the best thing they can do is baptize. Uh, some can march, you know, so some can pray for folks. <laughs> I mean, that's just the reality of what it is, right? And so what we as a community, you know, and uh, I'm hearing about the Justice League, there's a whole lot of people. There's a whole lot of organization that's trying to hijack the movement and make it about whatever their, you know, their particular needs might be. The reality is as a faith-based organization, National Action Network, these churches that's here on the front line, we have to do a better job in getting behind them. I would never forget in Los Angeles during the George Floyd um, event, um, individuals was marching, and those same individuals, half of them went to go loot stores. And it was like, look at the church, look at what's going on, look at, I mean, not the church, where, where's, where, how, who can do it right? They was hijacking the movement. It went from George Floyd to looting. And so I was compelled to say, hey, now we're going to show them what it's all about. You know, Black Lives Matter, they want to march with us, nobody else wants, because, you know, we, you know, we the church. I said, let's show them how it's done. And so I took a, I called for a protest, five, six hundred people in Los Angeles, this is two years ago, joined us on the streets of Los Angeles. We shut down the city sections and we marched and we showed the world how it should be done. A job of an activist is to shine light on various situations, not getting in it up for themselves, not getting, you know, for anything else but to shine light. And I believe, again, let us as a church community get behind these individuals that's doing the work and let us support that and let us at that time we can you know we can bring a light to that and when they say we're the church look at me you know i always say that look at me i'm i am the church. i am a representative of the church and don't be ashamed of that yeah i, I want to jump in thank you thank you for that um because I need to offer just a little bit of a different frame on the question that you posed because I come from a totally different background. Um, and I think this is powerful. I think it, I've, I've sat in a place where I've been almost envious of those that had second and third and fourth uh, generations of people that were activists and engaged and that happened automatically for them. And that was not my story for all of the work and all of the blessings that God has allowed me to have in this work. That was not my story. And I, I, therefore, I believe that's still the issue for a whole lot of churches. We assume that churches all need to know what to do and how to do and what to say and how to show up. And I just want to say that there still is a large number of churches that just don't know, don't have a clue. They think they are doing what they're called to do. 
at Victory and Praise, we have a very successful ministry. We um, were in the city operating for probably, we've been in existence 28 years now, but a, probably a good 10, 15 years where we were doing strong work, growing. We were doing what I now know to be mercy services. We're giving out the shoes and the clothes and the water and the, you know those things in some um, school programming and what have you. We read the entire Bible, believe the entire Bible. I don't know why, save God, you have to give us an answer. The justice part didn't stand out. It took uh, Pastor Amelia Adams, powerful woman of God that's gone on to be with Jesus, to say, you know, Pastor Trina, you all are amazing in Stockton. I need you to come to a meeting. Hmm. And, and the only reason I went, because we were busy doing what we thought was important, was because Pastor Amelia asked me to come. And I came, and when I came, Dr. Joy, to the PICO event that they were having, I sat there and I'm thinking, these young people are so cute, but I don't know what they're talking about. They were excited about whatever they were excited about, but right. it didn't land. And I'm saying that because it took the love of Dr. Amelia to say, that was good, now I need you to come back. And she walked me through until I ended up at a training where it began to land, and I'm starting to think, could this be the truth? And as I got be began to gain understanding about what they were talking about, I created a social justice ministry on a napkin, on a plane coming home to talk to my husband about what I learned at the network and the importance and why aren't we doing this? There was not a pushback. He didn't say we don't do that. He didn't say we're church and we don't do policy. Yeah. It hadn't been presented in a way that we can understand. And from that moment, I fast forward, got engaged. And so I, I just say that, take the time to say that because if you know already how to when um, today the ask I'm still learning for all I do I'm still learning I asked one of the doctors that presented earlier I said now I'm a, I see all these numbers I'm gonna call every one of them so that I can support this initiative we just saw what am I saying when I call because I don't have all the generations behind me to automatically know and right. she gave me that right so sometimes we have to spoon feed pastors don't want to show up at a place where they don't know what they're talking about they're not gonna do it right and so we can't assume they don't know. Some may fight against it, but some just needs to know how to show up. They need to know not to show up and make mistakes. I'm here. I must need to pray for everybody and they need to be saved. All these people need Jesus. That's not how you, you need to just hold, be, sit, in, sit with them, right? Mm -hmm. And so I just say that because we want to encourage churches that are not engaged, continue to invite them. And if they don't come, invite them a different way and a different way and then show them how they should show up so that they're not going in, cooking over stuff, destroying stuff that's already been built. Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, so true. There's a learning curve. You guys give Pastor Turner a hand. There's a learning curve to this. Um, I remember when I first jumped into it, I thought I was doing the work, like you said, um, and then Stephon Clark got killed a block away from where we are sitting right now in his grandma's backyard. And then I got a call from both NAACP, Alice Huffman, Betty Williams. They said, come and go to his church uh, for the funeral. Les, we were talking and everything. You were telling me, I think I got a call from you. I was on a flight to a conference and everything landed. I was talking to you and you was like, get back on the plane. Come on back home. <laughs> because, I remember the day. Yeah, yeah. And uh, we were talking. It's like, yeah. okay, let's go. And you was like, hey, Sharpton's folks. You took, you're the first one to tell me. Yep. Sharpton's folks was coming. Yep. And I knew some of Sharpton's folks. Yep. And I said, all right, well, let me connect. And then Tulis got into it. And we kind of just jumped in. And you talk about not knowing. I had no idea what I was jumping into. I find myself at Caesar uh, Chavez, you know, Park. Remember that? And um, oh, I'm yeah. looking at a row of cameras about, that oh, spans yeah. the stage. And I'm like, 
Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. You know, but but it takes it takes a level, and I'm not saying I have it, but a level of courage. Correct. You know, to do that and to go into the unknown, jump into this space, uh, because there's a need, right? There's right. a need to feel. Uh, there's some more. Uh, so, 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 but you're correct. There's a learning that we have to do. It's the education, it's the invitation, and all that. But there's still a stigma, though. Yeah. There's still a stigma for black church leaders to show up in this space, which is again still confusing. Can anybody help me out with that, Pastor? Yeah. So what I was going to say, when you're talking about the learning curve, thinking about the learning curve that exists within the community. And so people tend to demonize what they don't understand. And so I think there has been a gap in the education of the history of the black church and the activism and who they are. We may know that. We're not far from it because my grandfather talked about it. Mm -hmm. He told me about his struggle. You know, my, my father talked about it. But there's been a gap in that understanding in the community that exists right now of what the church you know, really does. And so when we were going out there, I remember back here, we used to have the, uh, the youth here, the next gen, they used to say, we gonna rep, right? We gonna rep. Mm-hmm. And so the Lord was showing me represent, no, actually represent. And so represent mm-hmm. the church and let them understand, get, teach them the history you know, of the church, the activism and what they are because they don't expect it, they don't know. And we have to have that patience and that grace to be that actual, um, that model, you know, to them in that space, you know, of what they think we are. Because right. I remember when we first went out with night walks, right. they were like, we're not coming, no, no, we're not going to vote. You know, we're like, we're not here to vote. We're we just don't. here to see, you know, make form relationships. And this is what we're here to do. We have to explain that. So it takes some time for us to be able to sit down like they used to do in our, with our tribal elders and learn from each other. No, I yield the floor. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bishop. I think this whole chasm between the sacred and the secular between the sacred and the secular, at some point will always come to a head. The, the divide between the pulpit and our politicians uh, have a struggle trying to find that place where we can become most effective. Mm-hmm. I think it came uh, national, it got national attention when Barack Obama and Jeremiah Wright had to part ways. Hmm. I think it became a, a very serious problem. And I think it's important for us as preachers to know that all of us, either in a passive way or in an active way, are already involved in the political struggle. Right. It, it, it comes to us, especially those that really understand the ministry of Jesus. Jesus was a liberation theologian, Mm -hmm. period. And that became almost a four-letter word when Jeremiah Wright said what he said. And they, to some degree, have created this adversarial relationship between uh, politicians and preachers without knowing that there is an intrinsic commitment to the advancement of justice just by, just by virtue of who we are and what we preach. 
We are required to be involved. We're required to march with George George Mm. Floyd. We're required to come alongside the end. That's part of our requirement. Mm. Um, What is required of the old man? Do justice, love mercy, and walk humbly before our God. That's what that's what required of us, as we do the prophetic ministry. And one last thing before before I before I stop talking, um, I think that when we understand the difference between theology and doctrine, mm. it will be much easier to navigate what we propagate. Um, Theology is subjective and it is applied doctrine, how we assimilate it and appropriate it in the context of our community. Our doctrines are objective, non-negotiable. And when we learn how to manage and mitigate that, I think where we have what we have to offer will be much better appreciated. It, it, it really hurt me. It, it hurt my heart when uh, Freddie Haynes was rejected by the NAACP. Hmm. It hurt me because, you know, Andrew Young and, um, and Freddie Haynes became adversaries when they should have been collaborating. He brought something to the table that I don't think the larger group really embraced. And so I think it's important that we we sit at the table and communicate our hearts. Um, it was exacerbated for me. I knew that this whole mode of this whole social justice piece came to me by the by the a murder of my son. Um, and I wasn't I wasn't as involved as I am now, but I have a deeper sense of appreciation for what everybody brings to the table and how to uh, further advance it in the context of my theology and ministry that God has given all of us. Can can I just say one thing? Um, The stigma. Let me first of all say uh, when King died in 19... Um, 68, um, King died and uh, his popularity amongst African Americans was very low. He wasn't received mm-hmm. by the masses of America. I think 80% of America despised him. It, it, it costs, and now Pastor Porter says something earlier in reference to the cameras lined up. Now we've all been in front of cameras, but it, When you stand for God's people and for the people of God, it comes with a cost. Mm. A lot of times people think it's glamorous, right? A lot of times people think we're celebrated. But it's those same people that will try to blow you up, will try to pull you down. Mm -hmm. Why Pastor Simmons all the way out? I mean, Pastor Simmons, his his reputation when uh, Stefan Clark died, first person they told me to call as Western Region was Pastor Simmons. You know, people have a way of vilifying you. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of pastors are afraid. Yeah. I mean, social media vilify you. 
say things against you that's just like not true. You know, so a lot of individuals are afraid to step out and to do these things because they don't want to tarnish their image. But being an activist comes with a cost and it comes with a price. As Jesus was, um, you know, as Jesus was ridiculed, um, that comes with the price. So that's what happens with a lot of pastors. A lot of pastors are scared. You know, and I don't blame you because I've been through my I've been through my trial, my era, and it ain't easy. When I first posted the flyer being involved in this conference, one of the first I don't know if you remember that one of the first comments was sounds racist to me. Wow, wow, Doctor Takoy, you know, just one uh, comment around this. I think as senior pastors, we also have to be okay with giving the endorsement to younger uh, associate pastors or ministers to carry that weight mm. in the community. One of the things I was so blessed at is at the time I really got an on, on board it to this work, it was after the barbershop shooting on Stockton yeah. Boulevard, and it was my dad, Bishop Carthen, and Pastor Eddie who said, we need you to start the night walks. And I wasn't the senior pastor. They had senior pastor responsibilities, but they kn knew this was important. And so they threw me in this work, and I could I can remember the day I talked to Bishop Carthen. This is actually the day he transitioned and passed. I was on the phone with him because he had called us to be at a press release for homelessness right. at Capitol Christian Center. I called him back and I said, Bishop, hey, thanks for uh, making sure that I'm in the right place at the right time. He said, Les, you're it. Uh, I'm just trying to do my job. I think that that tone, I'm just trying to do, do my, my job, job of that uh, just mentorship that the past generation, including my dad, has, has been able to help ensure that our faith values are represented in the street and not just in the church. So good, so good. Uh, yeah, I was coming to you. I, I was I, coming to I you, I knew man. you were, that's why yeah, I just said, let me yeah. go ahead. Um, I believe that the stigma is a result of all that has been shared, but there is, if we're honest, there have also been bad actors mm. on our part. Um, there's a codependent relationship between the person in the spotlight and the person that runs the spotlight. And you have a lot of preachers who are called to be prophets but want to be politicians. And you have politicians who want the power that the prophet carries. Mm. So you'll always have a tension between the two because both want to be the other without the preacher realizing that we have actually the power. And so you have bad actors to step into the spotlight and the controller of the spotlight is the community. They are the ones that determine where that spotlight shines. But the problem in this world today is part of that stigma has also rose because those that have been behind the spotlight, the community of sorts, have become very individualistic. They have lost sight and the understanding that the spotlight once shone on the whole stage and not just one. And they are so used to celebrity preachers and celebrity personalities uh, that they, in their ignorance, pick the wrong people to put in those spotlights. And so it becomes difficult for those with the earnest heart to step into that space without being prematurely judged 
based upon the previous actors. And so that stigma just keeps going back and forth and back and forth. And I don't think the church has done a great job of reminding our congregations and our people and our community that God is not narcissistic. God, God is not, uh, when he said, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's talking generations, not individuals. Mm-hmm. And, and we have gotten to the place where we are now so focused on the individual, even in the church, to keep the church packed, we focus on the individual. To keep people in the seats, we focus on God's going to get you a house, God's going to get you a car. And that indoctrinates them, so they go and live out this doctrine that we've placed on them, and so they respond in individualism. So when we stand before them and say, hey, we got to help the community. They're like, what community? Right, right. Yeah, and now uh, we don't like what you're saying, so let's move the spotlight to someone else. And so I think that stigma just keeps growing into the point where you have to have these moments where the world begins to see the community of the prophets, where the world begins to see the group of preachers and, and, and the coming together of these leaders to say, well, maybe there's something different here. Mm-hmm. And I think that will begin to break down that stigma at some point. Come on, clap your hands. This is good. Um, so I'm going to I'm gonna come right to you, um, Pastor Joy, and then I want to leave some time for um, some community. You know, this is an opportunity for you to ask some questions to these pastors and clergy and um, prophets up here. And um, so we won't give you the opportunity to do that, but go ahead, Pastor George. I, I just wanted to underscore, I mean, this is such an, a, a wonderful panel to be a part of. I just wanted to lift up and underscore a couple of things that I have heard and that, well, I, I think it's embodied in your question, this, this stigma between politics and the pulpit. And I wanna lift up what do we mean when we use the word politic? Um, politics comes from the word policy. Mm-hmm. Policies are established uh, for people. Policies for people. The prophets and the preachers are called to serve people. So anywhere there is a policy or the potential of a policy, the prophet, because of our calling, our requirement, as you said, our requirement to lead and guide and direct people, that is our natural place to be. Mm -hmm. I, I didn't understand that because I, like so many of the rest of you, grew up in church fashion that taught me that's over there, politics is over there. Mm-hmm. I, my family did not care for Martin Luther King. When he died, my grandmother, whom I, I hold in highest esteem, was like, well, now we don't have to worry about all that agitation he was bringing. Hmm. So I grew up understanding that's supposed to be outside the church, and they would be of the mind, as so many others were, Martin needs to be back behind the pulpit. Late, late, late in life, I came to this this teaching and this understanding that politics is about policy. And if there is a policy that is gonna touch the lives of the people who are sitting in your pews, you cannot get up and teach the word of God every Sunday and never mention some of what is happening to me on my daily, day by day living. (laughs) There are some policies 
that are not fair to me. There are some policies of inequity hitting my children. There are some policies that's keeping me from having a roof over my head. Please, preacher, would you preach about that? Right. <laughs> right. right? Or, or do you have to keep it separate? So, so just understand. Or, that. preacher, would you look outside of your small empire and look at the falling apart kingdom outside of your church? That's what it was for us. It was like we're not comfortable building up our own platform when the co is community violence, is human trafficking, yeah. is yeah. police uh, violence, is all these things within our community. But the church is blessed. Yeah. Right? Good, good preaching, ministry, doctrine, theology should scratch where people are itching. Come on, mm. preach, preach. Period. Not comma. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Good. Yeah, we can't just have this resort. You know how you <laughs> you have a resort when you go to the Bahamas or Jamaica, and that, yeah. that's beautiful. But right. then on your way to the resort, you're like, "Can I get there safely?" Well, I, right. You know, I'm scared on my way there, but thank God I made it. You know, and right. and that's what we've kind of taken that resort mindset. You know, churches. As long as we're good, we're good. But everybody outside of our resort, you know, you got fend for yourselves. And that's not what God has called us to do or to be, to stand for. And that's why we haven't gotten the invite and the, the, the pulling in mm. from organizers and protesters because they see we don't care, right? When they see we care, they call. Mm. Pastor Takoy, can you show up to this rally? Can you show up to this vigil? Can you do a, can we hold an organizing space in your sanctuary? Can, can you lead a community action? Right. I know it may put you in trouble with the council member or the chief of police, but they need to see you on this side. Right. Right. I just want to lift up real quick is that for this week, just honoring it, we talk about King a lot. This is actually the 60th anniversary of the release of the letter from the Birmingham jail. It was written in April, but it was released to the public the first week of May in this week. And that was not a country club that it was written in, right? <laughs> right. It was not a place of comfort. And it was written on toilet paper and a newspaper, but hmm. turned out to be the most prolific civic writing that we have today that lays out a blueprint. And he was speaking to other pastors. He was speaking to white clergy who was saying that he was an outside adjutant. And so there was a stigma, you know, even in that time, even then. So we're gonna continue to deal with it, but it's how we respond to that stigma and understand, you know, what to do, you know, when it's happening. So I lift that up to say is that we have to understand that. I, when I think about him writing it on toilet paper, I'm like, same purpose, it was using the same purpose, it was cleaning up mess. <laughs> but it was used for a different, <laughs> different thing. <laughs> It cleans up another mess. All right. Phrase. <laughs> That's good, though. Um, yeah. Uh, just real quick to Pastor. I don't know why preachers say real quick. Uh, <laughs> we all say it, and it ain't never. Uh, to, but to your point, one of those things about preaching, that the reality of our people, uh, I learned since, especially being here, uh, it takes some courage and some fortitude. Uh, during George Floyd, so I inherited, uh, Bishop Carthen had been gone probably about four years before I came 
church had drastically changed, but it still was uh, pretty, you know, diverse racially. And I did not preach my first chunk of years anything touching politics. Um, one of the reasons I did not, my pastor was in politics, and I remember one Sunday he had governor, uh, he wasn't governor at the time, but he had Rahner come, who eventually became governor of Illinois. He was Republican. And uh, Salem was a really large church. We had, no, no preacher exaggeration, probably about 2,000 people walk out when he had Governor Rahner speak. And I said, you know, Pastor, do you regret that? Would you change it? And he said, no, I wouldn't change it. He said, because uh, Scarborough, went, when they called me at 2 a.m. and they want their son to get out of jail, it's these relationships that cause that. And I was like, oh, he, that, you a bad man. You a bad man. <laughs> well, when George Floyd passes, I had not preached on politics. I had not touched politics. Um, but the world was burning. Right. And I'm like, I, how can I not address? And so I preached a series of messages entitled um, about the black church, about why black people were angry. To this day, and I tell Pastor Porter this, he, we probably lost $40,000 and givers who did not like the fact that I preached about what was happening in the world. And I have to ask myself, just being transparent with y'all, would I do that again? Hmm. Um, but what's in me, the way I'm wired, the way I'm called, it's a yes, but it ain't a quick yes. <laughs> and, and I think we have to be honest with other preachers maybe. and pastors. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> let me pray and fast about it, Lord. Let me, oh, no. let me, let me process this yeah. some more. Uh, and I think we have to be honest with, with other preachers and pastors and say, hey, it's not an easy choice, but you got to do it. Because one of the things I say, and I'll close on this, it showed me my Judases. It showed me my Peters. <laughs> It showed me who was at that table with me. Well. And preach, I think you said this last night. Oh, somebody said this yesterday. I'd rather you hate me for who I am than love me for who I'm not. And so I just think we have to be honest about it's a cost to doing My that. goodness. I, I don't know if pastors are all ready to pay the cost as well. Mm. There's so, there's There's... So much of the glamour and the control, I can reflect back to the day you held Stefan Clark's celebration of life service. You called me. You said, I need parking. I called a pastor that was in your vicinity, and they told me, we don't know if we want to be associated with that in opening our parking lot up. I said, Pastor, if you don't open your parking lot up, I'm going to tell everybody what you said. They opened their parking lot up. Right, right. <laughs> I love that. That's what we got to do, a little pastor prayer, peer pressure, right? Pastor prayer pressure. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We've got a question coming up um, right here. And this is from our... Um, uh, we call her interim restoration uh, director, um, but she's kind of been in there for a while. Um, her name is A. Couture, all the way from Los Angeles. Come on up, right there. Yeah, and uh, give us your question. Make sure that mic is on. Thank Testing? you. Yes. Thank you so very much, all of you, for being on the panel today. My question is in regards to finding that balance that you spoke of. 
So you have members in your church, like your grandmother, who did not agree with everything that Dr. King was doing, or members who walked out of your church. But you want to keep that balance. What are you doing among your groups to discuss maybe focusing on issues that would bring value to those without them leaving or walking out, but yet being able to maintain the cause? So that people can best understand what how important it is for them to become involved in politics. I know I'm a PK and a father of a bishop and a daughter of a bishop. And I know in our membership at that time, back in the day, they weren't affected by, they didn't want to be involved in politics, but they were very concerned about what was happening to the young people or what was happening to the local economic development. Have you guys started to come up with think tanks on the way to approach them from different angles where they may not get into one of the, more of what they would consider the radicalized or the militarized uh, style uh, political or police reform, but get into something that they could buy into? Okay. Uh, uh. Okay, I'll go. <laughs> yes, thank you for the question. So at Victory and Praise, what we do is not assume that everyone is ready to get into the radicalized, but we do provide an on-ramp for them to get into the work in a manner that is important for them. And so if we call a meeting, we have 737 members, if we call a meeting, if I were to say, I want you to come to a social justice meeting, you know, people, maybe 10, maybe five will show up. Mm -hmm. So what we did initially, and this was at the end of last year, is we called for Taco Tuesday with the Turners. We didn't tell them what they were coming for. Just come and have tacos with the pastors, right? And 125, I think, showed up for Taco Tuesday. And we gave them tacos, but we started then with an on-ramp onto social justice. We started talking, we showed them the uh, Jesse Jackson rocks just laying around video and talked about what happens when you don't engage. And, and we held um, sessions where each of them were able to talk about what was important for them. Because it may not be gun violence right away. Some of them were interested in violence environmental justice. They talked about the asthma. Some of them talked about their concerns about education. And from there, we form small groups within the larger groups so that we can study and look at, follow the money. Why is it broken? Why is it an issue? And it was their slow on-ramp into social justice. And so now we have a social justice team that's working on all of those issues. And the, you can't do social justice work and find out what's broken in the corruption in one area without starting to see the threads into other areas. So, so that's what worked for us. It's, it's important for us also to realize that in our culture that's had to try and adjust to being an oppressed people, that everybody is not going to deal with that oppression the same way. Right. The Jews lived under the tyranny of Rome, and every sect of the Jewish culture dealt with it differently. The, the Essenes hid in the caves. The Pharisees hid in the church. The, the Sadducees took care of the money and the property, and they were, that was their priority. Uh, the the uh, Herodians were the Clarence Thomases. Come on. <laughs> And, and, and the only people that got involved were the, ze the zealots hmm. or the zealots. Mm -hmm. They were the only ones who did the power to the people thing. Let's overthrow them. And, and all of them were oppressed. All of them were oppressed. Under wow. the tyranny of Rome. So I think there is a model 
for us to follow who you're going to be. Mm. You know, decide. We can have all the think tanks we want, but there is a, there is a, a part of our nature that gravitates to what we're comfortable with. And so we have to say, okay, if the zealots of our community, the zealots of our community are doing something, let's make sure that we don't get in their way. Yeah. Okay, let the Pharisees and the Sadducees raise some money for the zealots to do what they got to do. Let's figure out how to work together. Exactly. Right, right. Um, I would like to say, uh, I, I mentioned in my introduction, I am the chair of PICO California. PICO stands for People Influencing Change Through Organizing. And what Pastor Trina just described to you is the central core of organizing. It ha I'm, I'm up here at the level of the, the board, but it has to be really manifested at the church level, at the individual local organization, and it is totally dependent upon relationships. Mm -hmm. Everything that we do, Pico California has been around for 35 years or more, and we now have, I don't know, I can't even, I can't even list the number of uh, members that we have involved, but we start this kind of training, this kind of um, teaching, this kind of um, formation by a Taco Tuesday, coming from people who have been um, in the trenches, uh, uh, learn the, the, the skill and the giftings of organizing, learn the skill and giftings of slicing an issue. What is this issue that is hitting, because we gotta get to the pews, right? What is this issue that is hitting the people in your pews? Because we don't always know that there is this uh, anti-black policy. We just know that we can't seem to get ahead. Right, 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 right. So, 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 so it, it is about organizing and educating, and that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like to win people over, yes. Right, one more question from the audience, Dr. Rhonda Moore. Good afternoon, pastor. Yeah, speak loudly. Oh, can you hear me? Okay, good afternoon. I so appreciate this panel. Um, I shy away from politics. And so I've been a member of Genesis now for almost 22 years. Yeah, 22 years this July. And so my big thing is education reform. And so what I've done, and <laughs> Pastor Smith here knows this, I, I say my part of contribution, I'm going to stay out the politics because I'm from the old church, born, raised, Baptist, not a PK, but just in ministry. But I know my calling, I have a heart for our kids. And so what I've been doing is the MetaView Enhancement Community said, I said, I'm going to give up my volunteer, my time to be a tutor to help our kids um, rise better in their outcomes for academic achievement. And at the time, and I'm from West Oakland, so I know what it's like to to be labeled something that you're not. You know, I'm the first in my family to get a doctorate degree in education. But I never, I never touted that, thank you. My, my church, this is my church, this is my pastor, okay? So I never touted that, right? I'm just like, I'm just Veranda, right? And they educated me about, no, you earned it, you be called that. And so I did that, and I still couldn't figure out why the kids were not succeeding. So then I started doing scholarships here. Every kid I started with middle school, 
and I said, I want you, and I just did a whole a career class, like do a budget. What college you want to go to? Let's look up that college. Let's look up how much it costs to go, you know, what it take. Oh, you want to go to Cal State or you want to go to public? You want to go to private? And I'm thinking I'm doing something. And then my heart hurts because here in my own church family, I didn't see a lot of kids that I wanted to, that, to come to the class. So I started expanding and going to other churches, churches that look like us, churches that don't look like us. And more people will come there than here. And so I'm like, what is it? I have my child in private school, but they were not teaching the standards, like, you know, Department of Education, California. And so I knew that that was going to be a disconnect, but I was like, I want her to be in this bubble. You know, you grow up, you want your kids to have more than what you have. You know, then we're doing this unspoiling and it's not working. But anyway, so, um, but I started noticing that the, 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 act, the curriculum was not helpful. So I'm pushing my child to do better. And then I go to a school, she's in public school, and I see that our kids are still hurting. And so my ministry, and I stepped down, you know, saying I used to do women's ministry and do um, speaking, and I stepped down, and I know I'm not even gonna look at it for the last Pastor Lady K, and I said, let the younger generation come and speak. I always speak. I'm always a guest speaker. Let somebody else come. Because of me, I'm like, I'm going to settle in retirement life, right? Get ready for retirement. But how do, and, I, and I'm thankful for this because Pastor No, I was like, mm, I'm not doing politics. I'll do virtual, right? But my heart is for our children. I'm trying to learn how to balance that from, I love my church. I love the religion, I love the spirituality, but my heart, my calling is for so social justice, for education reform. But how, I don't know how to navigate that, and I'm no longer afraid, but I just don't know how to navigate that in the church, because I was born and raised Baptist, and Baptist is church is church, and separate from church and state, right? Well. Yeah, Help so me. let's answer your question. That's all right. Let's who's so, going to jump that. Uh, let me, I'll give you a short answer, and uh, it's really to the point, but somebody else is going to have to add to it. Trying to navigate that space is like trying to saying you want to navigate through air. You, you cannot separate them. Um, and real, if you look at even Jesus Heals the Man by the Pool of Bethesda, 38 years. That's 38 years of bad policy. Because <laughs> it says it's a, it's a pool full of sick and lame, all of them there. That's 38 years of bad policy. The hand of God only has to touch and get involved where humanity stops. And so I think you need to let the navigate and go and just be who you are because it's going to take you in spaces of politics and policy. It's, it's, it's no way around it, I think. But one of my elders might have something else to say. Well, the, the other thing I ask myself as a pastor, and I ask this frequently, is the question of who do I need to become? And I think living that way allows you to uh, allow the Holy Spirit to direct you in a way, right? The other thing is that if you want something done in the church, you have to be the carrier of it. Right. Uh, and pastors and we as leaders play a role. The church plays a role, but you actually have to be a carrier of it. We follow the same model that uh, Pastor Joy talked about. And we'll do a listening session around the needs with that our, our church community, faith community wants to 
collectively take upon. And based on that, we start organizing, we start working. But then there are those, that passion, that defining moment that calls us out. And I think you have some of those defining moments that call you out, that you have to be the carrier of the change that you want to see. To try and ignore that reality, it's not a matter of either or, it's really a matter of both ends. And to try and, and just ossify yourself to one end, uh, it's almost what the scripture says, you cover your head, your feet will show. If you cover your feet, your head going to show. <laughs> you, you, you just can't leave it. You have to address it in a holistic manner because um, it's going to call you. I just, I just want to add is that sometimes we have to redefine terms that, we're, that have been used to colonize us. So you may have to redefine what politics means to you and understand Jesus and politics. Understand God in government and then people in politics and understand, okay, what does that mean for me? What is God saying for me as it means to politics? Because we've been taught, and we talk about sigmas, we've been taught a certain way about what it is. We may have to change, redefine what that is and understand how it fits into our faith. Okay. I agree with Thank all you. of that. I would also say, sister, you need to build some partners. Can't do it by yourself. Somebody else has that same passion. Find a sister. Find a brother. Yeah. Five. Oh, girl. Sack Act needs you. <laughs> well, she's Nan first now. We're, <laughs> we're, we're partner. We're partner, but she, she's on the main team. Yeah, we're partners, too. We're partner. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. Pastor, you brought a key point, though, and just even that profound uh, statement how do community organizing and social justice entities work together mm -hmm. on shared values? Right. We've worked together on many different platforms. Uh, I'm just maybe that's the next podcast discussion. I don't Thank know. You. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll jump into. Well, I'll be calling each of you for the next episodes, right? So we can dig deeper. But this was just a, uh, I guess, a taste of things to come. Have you enjoyed yourself? Wasn't this wonderful? And I know there's some questions that were out there. Uh, but we have lunch that, that's ready and prepared for you and all that. And we want to make sure that you're ready for our next. Um, panel, which is a fireside chat with, that's presented by T-Mobile, and it's going to be with Marina Coley-Flippin, principal of MCF Global, LLC. She is the first minority consultant broker for T-Mobile USA, came all the way from Washington, D.C., is a fireside chat. She was a former senior manager for BET Holdings. You want to sit down and hear what this woman has to say in regards to building wealth in communities and media and what T-Mobile's doing to help all of us in diversity and DEI work, all right? So let's go ahead and appreciate this panel. Amen, amen. And I'm going, I'm going to ask the DJ, cue the music, because we do our Photoshop, I mean our Photoshop, our photo shoot, and then after that, y'all can go ahead and get some lunch, all right? All right, so DJ, thank you. <laughs> That's the confidence that